Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello, wonderful people, and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. So today I have episode 14 for you, and I'm excited to go through the first topic on the agenda today, which is something that's probably crossed most of our minds uh, on our health and fitness journey, or even if you've never started one, you've maybe had the thought process of potentially wanting that six pack, what it requires to get there, you know, why it hasn't happened, potentially if you have been working for it. And the second uh, topic we've got as well, which goes through habits, which are so crucial, especially this time of year when a lot of us are developing new habits. And we've got to understand that we are just a collection of our daily habits, right? So the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, they essentially create our lives. So having those stick, especially the ones we actually want to stick, is super, super crucial. So I'm going to get straight down to it and I'm going to dive into the first question, which is, why have I never had a six pack? What's going on here? Like, is it something wrong with my diet? Where am I, you know, where am I going wrong, essentially? So I'm going to preface this by assuming that this person isn't just sat on their sofa eating Doritos. They are actually working towards a six pack. You know, they're training hard, doing cardio, they're eating well, etc. And they've practically been working towards it for a, a significant period of time, weeks and months, maybe. So I'm going to begin with that. And I want to also touch on what is actually required to have visible six pack abs. And contrary to what we might think, it's not about having a ton of ab muscle. You know, it's not about how many crunches we're doing, how many planks we can, you know, how long we can hold a plank for, how many ab classes we've gone through. I think majority of us know, and if we don't already, then I just want to start by bringing to you, is it really doesn't come down to the amount of muscle you have within your midsection and abs. It really comes down to having actually really minimal body fat around your midsection. And in some ways, 
you know, that might be quote unquote unhealthy amount of body fat around your midsection. But that's the reality of it. It's not often that we have, you know, we might have people who have certain genetics that, you know, their midsection does pop out, even if they're not the leanest around, you know, the midsection and stomach area, that does happen, but that's not the majority of us. And for most of us, we just have to get really, really lean. And this ties into the next point, which is going to be pretty unpopular and it might ruffle a few feathers, but the harsh reality of it is that you may not be lean enough yet. And I know that this might be a bit of a tough pill to swallow, especially if you've been dieting for a long time. But if we do come back to, you know, what is actually required, there's a couple of things, right? You know, genetics are going to play a role, which I just kind of touched on a second ago, but really it does come down to how lean you are. And, you know, if you are still holding body fat in that area, then the reality is, is that your six pack abs or, you know, your ab muscles in general, your definition may not be coming through. And a lot of people, especially if you've been working quite hard on your journey, you've lost a lot of weight. And quite often, this is what holds people back. And I am speaking from a, I don't think that there's a right or wrong to this. If you want to pursue abs, then I think it's worth knowing the reality of what it takes. I'm not suggesting that someone does it or someone doesn't, so I'm just gonna preface with that. But most people will stop at a certain number on the scale of like where they think they should be. I get on consultation calls with people all the time and they tell me that, oh, I don't wanna go below 55 kilos. Oh, I don't wanna go below 70 kilos. You know, usually for the man, it's, you know, they don't wanna go into that uh, 69 kilos. And sometimes for a female, it might not be, you know, into the 40 kilos or something like that, depending on the person. But they have certain attachments to these numbers of what they deem to be healthy. Same for calories too, you know, it's like, I don't want to go below 1800 calories. I don't want to go below 1200 calories. Or actually the big one that happens is the other areas of their body get quite thin, you know? So their face becomes really thin. And they're like, oh, you know, I, I want to get this this uh, body fat off my midsection, but I don't like my face looking gaunt. Um, you know, my face gets too thin, my, my arms get too thin, my legs get too thin, my clothes don't fit me. But the trouble is, and again, I'm not saying what's right and wrong here, but the reality is, is that if you do want to achieve those six pack abs, then you probably do have to get leaner. And although your limbs and your face, etc., are very, very lean already, if you have those stubborn areas, if those stubborn areas are your midsection, then it will require to continue dropping body fat. And that might continue to pull from your face, your limbs, etc., And that might not create the desirable look you're after. But if it is the abs, which are your goal, then that may be what's required. And I wanna go into my personal story here. And this was, you know, back in the past. So when I would diet before, I would be the same as other anyone else. I would get these like faint outlines of my abs. So I never really got lean. And then it was when I first like actually committed to going on a really dedicated fat loss phase. And I kind of chucked all expectations of like what body weight I should be, what level of calories should I go to out of the window. I just started working with my first coach and I just did as I was told essentially until, you know, we got to a point where I was lean enough. I think we had a date in mind. So he was just literally doing as I asked, which I said, get me as lean as possible. I want to see, you know, the muscle I built over all these years. And only once I dropped that expectation of, you know, how low my calories should go, what my body weight should be, that was the thing that was holding me back. And that was finally uh, the, the time where I actually achieved a six pack or abs for the first time in my entire life. So that's worth noting there. So if you do have kind of this pre-existing idea 
of how many calories you should go to, you know, what weight you should go to, then question where that comes from. And, you know, what's more important to you? Because if having abs or getting really lean to get a six pack is more important than potentially that number, then it might just be worth traveling past that and seeing what happens. Again, I'm going to preface this the third time. It is completely the individual's decision, and I'm just giving you the context here as well. But there are a few other considerations, right? If you've had children, if you've been holding that body fat for a long time as well, you know, because if that can make it more stubborn. And also, if it is just typically your stubborn area, right? If you are noticing that, like I said earlier, your limbs are getting lean, you know, maybe your back is really lean, but that is the area that's sticking, that might be your stubborn area, and you might just have to work a little bit harder that you might have to diet a little bit longer to get it off and genetics are always going to play a big part and i remember like being in school right and some some of these guys were just naturally lean and i was not this person i think people mistaken me as someone who was always fit and healthy but i was a chubby little child and um, i remember like having to like suck my stomach in to have some visibility of like looking lean and there'll be other guys who were you know damn i guess you know looking back they were quite skinny let's say but they would have abs just standing there relaxed and that was not me so we've got to bear in mind there is a genetic component but you can only rely on your genetics genetics for so long so if you are in your you know teens 20s listen to this then you might be able to rely on that but as you do get into your you know late 20s 30s 40s then you know you might be adding body fat to those areas despite your genetics anyway so like is it a question of just dropping your calories and riding it out and i don't think that's always the case because of, i think it's worth you know bearing in mind like what is the length of your fat loss phase so far like how close are you to these abs are you actually within touching distance or can you be honest with yourself and say actually there is still a decent amount of body fat here and the last thing and i think one of the big big things to consider is like how is your physical and mental well-being at this moment And I think it comes down to a concept that I really like the quote of this, which is living to diet another day. And we've got to remember this might not be your only fat loss phase in your life. And therefore, this doesn't have to be the time that you get, you know, the ultimate goal. Because perhaps six-pack abs is the ultimate goal. And potentially, you just need to do a few more cycles of these before you get there. As I mentioned earlier, like I did a couple of fat loss phases before I actually achieved it for the first time. Right. And what we've got to bear in mind is like each time we diet, we tend to have the scope to get a little bit leaner. And I like to look at this from like quite a simple perspective when it comes to body weight. Right. Let's take the example. Perhaps it's this person who has asked this question. So they were 75 kilos before they get to 55 kilos, which is incredible and quite life changing. 20 kilos is a significant amount of weight to lose. But in reality, you know, their level of getting a six pack is 50 kilos. Right. Pushing for that extra five kilos could be the breaking point of this person. And it's also worth um, recognizing here that that five kilos might actually put a really bitter taste in someone's mouth of the dieting process. You know, if they accepted 55 kilos, tap themselves on the back because they did an amazing job, then instead of actually pushing for that extra five kilos, which actually could have broken them, could have made them have a really bad experience with dieting, then it's definitely gonna be worth them, you know, holding back where they are and living to diet another day essentially and the reason why i think it might be better to call a day in this example is let's say they get to that 55 kilos right they reverse diet effectively and then they stay within three kilos of that 55 kilo mark because of you know they just want to maintain a good lifestyle they want to enjoy the fruits of their labor and let's say they do that for a year or so 
and then the summer holidays come up and now they are what 58 kilos now they have just eight kilos to drop to get to that 50 kilo where they that is their level of six pack versus the 20 25 they had before so you see you know it might just not be this time round and i think it's worth considering that just because you're in the fat loss phase you know you put so much effort in you've really got to bear in mind those few questions that are answered above right you know where is your mental and physical well-being at this point in time like how close are you and you know what was the length of your fat loss phase because sometimes it is worth just saying hey, let's call it a day now and we're going to come back to this later. And bear in mind, you might even have more muscle the next time you come around to it. You know, your physique and body composition is going to look even better when you're leaner. And then the final thing here is, you know, you might have been going in cycles of this and getting very, very close. And I will preface this with saying that, you know, getting two six-pack abs, especially if you are got someone who's got quite stubborn body fat in the midsection, it's hard, you know, it's going to require a decent amount of effort. So, it's really worth considering like what the trade-offs are. Like, do you actually want to go through potential, I don't want to use the word suffering, but potential suffering to get there? Do you like is that something that is worth it for you? Because if I will say this is that I actually find that the difference between, and I, I know this is uh something that, you know, people will say, Oh, you know, you've been there, so you can't really speak on this. And I get that I really do. But what I would say is that I'm actually genuinely more comfortable about two or three kilos heavier than my actual leanest most of the time. I feel like you're less self-conscious. You know, you're more just enjoying the physique you have. You're a little bit more fuller. You feel a little bit healthier as well. But I do think it all comes down to you know how you feel and some people will just have this mindset and i would have had this before as well where you just have to get there once in your life to feel it uh, but now you have the context you probably understand what it requires and potentially why you might have not got there just yet so that wraps up question number one i hope that was insightful for you and i want to dive into a training question next which is one that i do get asked a fair amount which is how often should i change my training program and there tends to be an expectation that your training program needs to change quite regularly and i think this came from the notion of like there was a phrase back in the day where you said you have to shock the body you know you have to just change things up keep that body guessing so that you adapt and you grow etc but this simply isn't the case, right? That's what we got. I'm just going to rule that out right there. You know, it's not the case of shocking the body. So let's look at this from the perspective of like, if your goal is just to increase muscle and, you know, lose body fat, right? And let's say you're in early stages of your training as well. Let's say in your first one to three, maybe even one to five years of training. Let's say that you've not had any any expert eye looking over your training. In the first like four to six weeks of any training program, you're really just like learning the movements, right? You're literally just understanding how to squat how to deadlift, how to press, right? You don't really, like, especially in those first couple of sessions, you're quite wobbly, you're kind of working out what feels right, how you should be set up, how your posture should be, what weight you should choose. So you're learning in the first four to six weeks and you know you're actually creating like a lot of neural adaptation which is just your brain and your body linking together to understand how your body is supposed to move through this range of motion and through this position uh whilst putting load through it as well and there's like there's just no way that you can overload as much as you possibly could or you know contract the muscle to the best of your ability whilst you're still learning right it's like trying to drive super fast whilst you're learning to drive a car unless you are 
proficient at driving, then you know, you're just gonna be bumping into things, you know, you're putting yourself at a risk that's worth noting as well. And you just won't be as effective as if you actually understood what you were doing and you were proficient. And that's, I think the main point there. So if you go and change your workout at like that six week mark, You've not even begun to like tap into your potential of what you could do with those new those those movements you've just learned, right? And then you go into the new program and you just go through that process of learning again. If you've done it before, like, you know, there's still a period of relearning, right? So if you are not new to training, but you are starting a new training program, like there is still that period of your body needing to get to grips with that movement again. Yes, it might happen a little bit faster than someone who's brand new, but like anytime that let's say, you know, you haven't driven for a while or yeah, I'm going to use the driving analogy again, or if you haven't like ridden a bike for a while, like sometimes it just takes a couple of weeks to like feel fully comfortable behind the wheel again or behind the two wheels if you're, or on top of the two wheels if you're in a, on a bike, right? It takes you a little bit time to just reaccustom yourself and actually feel fully comfortable again. So I think the next question here is like, how long should we wait until we do change the training program? If we know that it's beneficial to learn those movements and then kind of capitalize on once we've learned them to actually you know lift some weight and move effectively through those movements and i think that this brings me on to the topic of practical versus optimal and i talk about this quite a lot so if we're looking at things from an optimal standpoint we want to make as many strength gains as possible we want to you know, burn as much body fat as possible we just want effective training sessions right we've got to look at it this way if you're still making strength gains if you're still adding reps, if you're still improving the quality of the movement, and like I said, the goal is to gain muscle or is to burn body fat or just have effective training sessions, then there's really no reason why you should change the program until that begins to like slow down or come to a point where you do reach a quote unquote plateau. That's the reality of it. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And that phrase sums that up quite well. However, if your goal is just to train for enjoyment, and you know after 10 weeks potentially boredom kicks in and you know you're actually not that excited to go train then switching up the routine and you know leading you to more enjoyment enjoyable training or actually like exciting you to go and train then even though it might not be as optimal it might be better than the alternative of just pushing through with a training program that you kind of no longer have interest in Right. So I want to go into a story of mine, for instance, of like sticking to the same program, how optimal it can be, because there was a period, I think it was in 2019, I want to say, or maybe even 2018 going into 19. I followed the same training program for almost a year, like almost a year, like I would go in every single week and do that exact same routine and i think it ha i think it had like five different sessions to the routine so it rotated a little bit more than like a a two workout session for instance but i knew it was getting me to the goal i knew that i was you know making gains i knew that i was lifting more proficiently and i felt that i was growing as well so i felt no reason to change it whatsoever but these days I have changed a little bit. I was very centered around, you know, building my body, kind of the bodybuilding mentality back in the day that I don't think I have as much of anymore. So as I'm not as singularly, singularly focused as I once was, it might not work out as well. And having more frequent changes to my program might be more beneficial. Actually, every, you know, between three and six months might be more sufficient for me these days. So 
the big takeaway here is that it really comes down to what your goal is. And there's a couple of other things to consider, right? If you're an athlete, then it might come down to like the different seasons of the sport you do. You know, you might want to train more heavily on strength type of stuff during your off season. And then, you know, it might be more beneficial to go through speed phases, strength phases, agility phases, and they might need to change quite frequently depending on your sport. You know, if you're a CrossFitter, right, you might be used to training differently every single workout, right? It's called the WOD for a reason. So it really comes down to the goal. But I would say for those of you, if you're new to lifting and you have goals of just, you know, to gain muscle, to burn body fat, and you're still in that phase where training is still quite novel, you're not getting to a stage where you're getting too bored of it. I think it would be advisable to get really, really proficient at these movements, really good at them. And the best way to do that is through repetition, right? Just doing high quality movements over and over again. So that's my closing thoughts on there. Really does come down to the goal. Uh, but if you want the most effective workouts to get you from A to B in terms of A being where you are, B to your goal, then sticking with a training program for a decent amount of time is probably going to be your best bet. So on to the third and final question. And I'm excited about this one, which is, how can I make my habits stick? And I know that we went through, you know, how to stay on course of your New Year's resolutions uh, a few weeks back, but this one's actually going to bring a lot of different points and it's actually going to go more specifically into the habit formation and the holding on to those habits side of things. So I'm going to start by saying this. If you haven't read the book from James Clear called Atomic Habits, and you've been living under a rock for all this time, or if you haven't read the book, this one's a little less known, by uh, BJ Fogg called uh, Tiny Habits, then read both of those immediately after listening to this, especially if you are interested in the whole concept of building habits, um, maintaining habits long-term. I think there's another one that was written a while ago. Yeah, The Power of Habit. I've not actually read that one, but I'm sure there's some concepts in there. So essentially, I'm gonna actually go through a few of the concepts from the books. These are not original to me. These are ones I've picked up from both of those books. I'm gonna go through them in just a second, but I wanna start by looking at the time frame of like making a habit stick. And you know, there's a lot of different numbers that get thrown around. Is it 14 days? Is it 28? Is it 66? And for me, the real answer is it takes as long as it takes, right? If you know you get after day 66 and your habit is not sticking, then it doesn't matter whether you know some book or some study told you that it should take 66 days. Once you're, you do your habit consistently for weeks and months on end, that's when it's stuck, right? So you need to bear that in mind first and foremost. So don't set yourself up with the mentality that, oh, it takes 28 days to develop a new habit. Yes, you know, you are creating these new neural pathways. Yes, you're gonna be keep doing them and doing them until it's gonna get more familiar. But like your circumstances can change, right? Let's say you develop the habit of working out in the morning. You get really good at it. You do it for 66 days. But then you, you know, get promoted in your work and all of a sudden now you you basically have to take meetings between 5 a.m. and 8 a.m. That could actually break down that whole habit entirely because the structure is absolutely key to that and maybe adaptability comes into that as well. So I just want to make you aware of that so you don't get tied to the idea of it working out in a certain amount of days, but you just get 
really, really focused on making sure that that habit sticks for you long term. And I think that these few principles will really help. And I'm going to go through four of them, which come from both books, uh, which I think are going to be really valuable to making that habit stick. So the first one from James Clear's book is put in the reps. And this one really does resonate with me a lot. Because I have a lot of people ask me, like, you know, how do I get better at running? You know, how do I get better at squats? Like, what movements should I be doing? And yes, you can do certain exercises to support these movements, you know, get stronger in your quads and your calves, whatever. But the reality of the question and the answer here is that you need to squat more and you need to run more, right? You want to perform the habit or the movement uh, with the best quality as frequently as you can because the more you do that and the more proficient you get just like we kind of mentioned in the last question like you get better at that movement and you get better at doing that habit and it's going to be much more likely to be a fixture in your day and stick within your routine if you are doing it effectively and you're doing it regularly and not only you know from that perspective but it also will really bolster the idea that you are someone who is a runner, you know, someone who goes to the gym, someone who eats healthy, right? So if you are someone who has come from, you know, eating Doritos Doritos on the sofa, um, going out for a takeaway or drinks every week, to eating good, healthy meals three times a day, every single day of the week for months on end, then you will become that person who eats healthy, right? And you'll be able to associate yourself with that because you have evidence for that because you're doing it on a very consistent basis. So the more you do it, the more it will become embedded into your identity, right? Like, you know, think of me, for example. I drink coffee daily, maybe two, three, maybe even four. Uh, It's definitely decaf if it does get to four and therefore I'm a coffee drinker and I'm a very good one at that too, right? The overriding message of this point is that you can have all the strategies and techniques in the world but you have to do the work. You have to put in your reps and they will all add up over time. The second key principle is having a plan and structure in place. You know how much I love structure. If you leave something to chance, it's much less likely for it to actually happen, especially if you're actually in the early stages, like when the habit you're trying to build is quite unfamiliar to you and it's hard as well, right? Your daily structure can really help you overcome procrastination, you know, resistance to doing the certain thing. And it will actually help you get that task done, right? Because there will be so many things on your journey uh, to whatever habit you want to build that will prevent you from doing it. It will give you reasons, examples, situations, circumstances that will lead you to not wanting to do it, right? It might be raining, you might be tired, you might feel like you're getting unwell. But if it's factored into your day, right? You proactively have to make the choice not to do it, right? If you wake up in the morning and you've allocated the hour between 7 and 8 a.m., you literally have to look at your diary and say, no, I am not exercising today. And that's a lot harder than not having anything there at all and just being like, oh, that's just a free hour. Um, And there's no kind of self-accountability there. So I think it's super, super crucial to make sure that you have structure in place. And the next part we want to go into is a plan. Because if, if we got that structure in place, the next is making sure that it's actually really easy to execute on that um, habit that you want to build. It takes mental energy to think about what you're going to do in your workout. And that degree of uncertainty might 
put even more resistance on doing it. And same like goes for what you're going to eat for dinner, right? Maybe you have to, oh, I have to calculate my macros or I don't have this certain food in. If you have a plan, you are able to eliminate those decisions. And this is so, so helpful. I, I don't know if I've touched on decision fatigue much on this podcast, but it's definitely something I want to go into soon enough. And we've got to understand that us humans, we will usually fall into the path of least resistance, right? And if we don't have a plan, the path is going to be, you know, eat whatever's in the fridge, skip the workout, but you're going to take the easy way out. And if we understand ourselves as humans and we understand that we do have shortcomings like that, then we will definitely want to put in structure and have a clear plan in place to make sure that we complete the activity that we want to do. So the third one, and this one's a huge one as well, and that's something I really believe in, which is making sure that you change your environment and allowing you and allow your environment to support you and your new habit, right? I want to use the analogy of a plant. Potentially isn't growing, it's just there in the corner looking a bit dry, a little bit small. The plant has the capacity of growing. You know, let's say it's not getting enough sunlight where it's placed in that corner. It's, you know, it's not in a place where you really remember to water it. And unfortunately, that poor plant, it doesn't get the opportunity to grow or thrive. But this is the thing, the problem is not with the plant. It's the environment that the plant is in, right? If we put that plant in a well-lit room with plenty of sunlight and actually remember it you know we actually frequently water it because it's in that place in our peripheral and we see it all the time it will thrive and the same goes for yourself right if your goal is to get healthier but your cupboards are filled with unhealthy foods your hangout spots are pubs they're restaurants it's going to be hard for you to thrive if your goal is to you know get a little bit healthier get yourself in shape because those environments are not conducive to that habit and to that lifestyle change that you want to build however if you remove these or at least move them to a different drawer or area of the house especially if you've got a partner or family who who do want to continue eating certain foods and you then put more healthy foods in your fridge. You start hanging out in parks and coffee shops instead of pubs and restaurants. Maybe you start hanging out with more people or listening to more podcasts, reading more books that healthy people are talking on or, you know, or writing about or having conversations about. You will thrive too. It all comes down to placing yourself in that environment because you will by osmosis, pick up the behaviors, pick up the ideas uh, that will lead you towards getting to that new, well, completing that new habit, instilling that in your life, and then ultimately allowing it to stick long term. I do think that one is huge. It resonates with me so damn much. And the fourth one, I couldn't keep this one out. Um, this one actually comes from the Tiny Habits book by BJ Fogg. And it's the metaphor that they put in it, an acronym more so, which is motivation ability and prompt which spells out map and he goes through how these key things are crucial in creating habits and if we understand them we can actually leverage them to our advantage as well so the first point is that he shares on motivation and ability is that they can kind of compensate for each other and i'm going to take the example of starting health and fitness journey for the first time so your motivation in the initial stages is likely to be high but your ability, especially if it's the first time, might be on the lower end. So this is a good example of when your motivation can compensate for your ability to, you know, train, to eat well, etc. Because you want the result. So this is where, you know, that motivation will take care of the fact that you're not actually quite good at those things just yet. The challenge is here is that we know that motivation can be fleeting, right? And in four to six weeks time... 
the motivation is probably not going to be quite as high as it was, which, you know, which is why I personally believe it's so crucial that people, you know, get their ability up to scratch and they, they, you know, they're not blase in those initial stages because of if meal prepping becomes easier, if training becomes a little bit more simple and easy to understand, then it's going to be a lot more likely for them to follow through with that as opposed to not only their motivation is dipping now, but they don't really feel like they've gotten to a place where they feel able really to follow through on the training and the nutrition. And to really bolster this, you tie in the P, which is prompt. And in this example, like I want to use your day-to-day structure. If it's in your diary, like I said, you have to work out at X time or meal prep at X time. It's going to be so much more likely that you're going to do it if you are prompted. If you take away the prompt and the motivation, even if you're able to do something, you're probably not going to do it. And this is actually, for me, why I think most people don't actually drink that much water through the day, right? People are hugely able to do this. People like the idea of drinking more water, but they aren't super motivated by it for the most part and they just simply forget and i actually find that my most effective strategies for people when you know wanting to build that habit of drinking more water is to actually set alarms during the day right i always say that you know you want to start your day with it so when from the moment you wake up set timers every 60 to 90 minutes to prompt you to drink water and that seems to be one of the most powerful strategies for actually getting people to drink a lot of water and it actually bolsters this map idea right it's because the motivation isn't really there that much the ability is 100 percent there so you know that's compensating for the lack of motivation but they're just missing that p which is the prompt to actually get it done so i thought that was powerful just to summarize we've got the first one which is to do your reps put in the work the next is to have structure in place and a clear plan of that habit that you want to build. The next is to change your environment from one that doesn't serve you to one that's conducive to you, allowing that habit to stick long term. And the final one is to understand your motivation, your ability and your prompts and to make sure that either motivation or ability is there and then you tie it all together with that prompt. So that is everything from me today, guys. I hope that was a valuable episode. Once again, I come away from that feeling like I've shared some good nuggets of wisdom that you can take away and apply to your journey. So that is everything from me. Have a wonderful week ahead. Take care of yourself, guys, and we'll speak very, very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.